Okay, sorry, last episode I said that Brad's audio was bad and gets better this episode. Today it appears to be me. I seem to be a little too close to my mic and pretty enthusiastic at times. So it sounds like I'm shouting down the mic. I've lowered the volume as best as I could. It's just a little crackly in places, but... (laughs) Ah, the professionality of this show. Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time two minutes at a time. I am Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And our special guest for this week, Brad. Hey, everybody. This is Brad from the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast. Uh, Real happy to be uh, back on, joining the fun. We had a great time with the last episode, and uh, this will be even, even more even more hijinks. I love how positive yes, you are, Brad. It's great. <laughs> the funeral procession you know, is that, such a fun minute. It is a fun minute. You know, it's I'm, fun. I'm a big it's, fan it's of being positive, nice uh, especially with pop culture, because th- this stuff should be fun. Mm. Yeah. True, true. Yeah, so we open with Nick Cave telling us that he does believe in some kind of path that we can walk down, me and you. So we keep our candles burning, make a journey pride and pure, that she'll keep returning always and evermore. Into my arms, O oh Lord, into my arms, O oh Lord, into my arms, O oh Lord, into my arms. And then we'll go on to the dialogue in a moment. So, I mean, actually, you're, you're, this is your week, Robert. Yeah, it's all visuals. <laughs> visuals. Get the cars driving on the road, which is probably the road just north of where they just were. It's hard to confirm since it's a field. It's fairly generic looking. But the road seems like that. Which is actually a really weird way to be driving. You you don't get there, but you know they're going for visuals. It's fine. And then we. You get I feel like you're getting more lenient towards the end of the show, Robert. You're going from this is impossible to it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You know, it, yeah, they use the, the train station that's nowhere near the house. Whatever, that's their prerogative. It's a different universe, which is very similar to yeah. us, but the train stations look a bit different. And then you get another angle in the cars, and then we cut to the train. And then inside the train, you got Posey looking tired. Mary's holding Jeff. And uh, we get a great shot at uh, like 23 seconds in where Jeff is looking up at Mary. Mary is looking toward Posey out of frame. And Tim is at the edge of the frame looking at Mary. So it's like the whole family is kind of visually connected, which is nice. Mm, it's lovely. And it's uh, knowing British trains, either they they pre-booked or they were very lucky to get the four, the four opposing each other. Because that is... That is a difficult feat to book. <laughs> We've been there. It's a pain. And even if it, you're reserved, people don't always know that it's reserved. They'll say reserved and you have to go up to someone saying, like, excuse me, it says reserved, it's mine. <laughs> yeah. They may but have other times, you can be lot. sitting about there for ages. The last five months, they may have gone home a lot, so they might have, like, a standing reservation for these seats. Maybe. Quite often I've been on trains as well where, like, it says it's reserved for someone... And because they could be reserved for someone at any point in the journey, you sit there and then they never turn up. <laughs> like quite often me and my dad will book like like a four, but when I can't tell if there's a table there or not. But now I, you get them with a table. I have a, in the a question and for we'll book you, Luke. That. Look, you can finish yeah. uh, I have a question about when they get to their house. Uh, second 28 on your look on your minute. Because I don't know what these orange ball decoration things are for, and I figure it's a British thing. No, Robert, I've got no idea what they are. Oh, I think I've man. seen them before, but... I hope it was some, like, specific holiday or something, and it would be really obvious. I was like, how do I Google orange Brit balls? Day. 
just just guess that it's Guy Fox and go with it. I, that's what I say with anything <laughs> British. It's like, oh, it must be for Guy Fox Day. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we don't really do enough for Bonfire Night or Guy Fawkes Day, other than set fire to a fake man. I always find that weird. <laughs> like, even though it's in our culture, often the man isn't there, but quite often you go to celebrations. There's a model of Guy Fawkes that's on fire, and it's like. Yay! Celebration. Yeah, <laughs> let's have fun. Let's celebrate. Fireworks and candy floss. In fact, candy floss is a whole different British American conversation, isn't it? Because it's cotton candy yes. for you. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I, I always forget you don't have bonfire night. I, I mean, do you guys both know the story? Is the next question of as to what it actually is? Yeah. I learned that from V for Vendetta and the book, not the movie. So yeah, yeah. I, uh... I I remember I knew it at one point, but and I was actually in England once for Guy Fawkes Day. Uh, just stayed the hell away from that. It, it wasn't like we went there specifically for the reason. It was just we were visiting my cousin in England, and uh, he's like, "By the way, it's Guy Fawkes Day." He's like, "Stay out of the city." I was like, "Got it." Yeah. Yeah, my dog who passed away a couple of years ago used to hate the fireworks and Guy Fawkes Day or Bonfire Night or whatever we call it. It was always just. For the listeners who don't know, uh, long story short, there was a guy called Guy Fawkes who tried to do- blow up Parliament. They then caught him and set fire to him, and that's what we celebrate while setting off fireworks. Yeah, it's lovely. Pretty much it. <laughs> it's a weird holiday, but then again, I live in a country that celebrates Columbus Day, which is a really dumb holiday, so yes. I'm not going to throw stones. Just remember, remember the 5th of November, <laughs> yeah. as we say. I can't remember the rest of that rhyme. <laughs> I only know that part. But, yeah, so we know that, uh, as I said before, we open this minute with finding out that Nick, we've already done this. I forgot. I need to scroll down on my notes. We're in the, we're in the yeah. flat. The house. It's been a long week. It's only Wednesday. Yeah, here sleeping kids in. Whoa, this is a, it's just one of the, it's one of the only times where we say it's Wednesday and it mm-hmm. is Wednesday. We should make the most of this moment. <laughs> just, just sit here for a moment and savour it. Just, just let it all in. Take in the Wednesday. <laughs> okay, I'm good. So, right. <clears throat> before you get to the dialogue, so, a couple more visuals, because Mary yeah. gets Jeff in his crib, she starts to take his socks off, and then we, the camera slowly whips over to Posey's bed where Tim has already got her socks off and pulls the blanket up. He touches the side of her face, it's really sweet, and then we cut to them out at the top of the stairs. And he- it's good. I, I, it, it does just feel so raw and, and wonderful, this whole mm-hmm. exchange. But, yeah, the, so the fact that they're put, tucking them into bed in their normal clothes assumes that they fell asleep on well, the Well, they phone. looked asleep there and they were carrying them up the stairs, so yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I may be wrong, but I don't think I've, I mean, I guess I was like that when I was little, but I, I just love how well they, <laughs> you see, I remember when I was like a little bit older than them that my sister was like that and I always found it weird that you could just fall asleep and sleep through all of that because I swear like the slightest thing mm-hmm. and I wake up. Mary says, what do you think about the kids? him what about them not many of them are there <laughs> and so the exchange that's about to follow over these following minutes i feel like i made a mistake in the bonus minute i sent brad because what we should have done which i may be wrong i might have done this but i feel like i didn't is when tim's first persuading mary to have another child uh, yeah because there are so many parallels in in their sort of childish persuasiveness yeah i just I just loved, and it was a neat way that Curtis wrote this, how this conversation begins, because when you think of, and especially when it's portrayed in 
movies or TV, it's often – usually these discussions are – first off, often there isn't a discussion. It's just her walking in holding the, the stick and it's like, oh, it turns out I'm pregnant. It's like – and it's a complete surprise to everyone because apparently nobody knows in movies or TV how children are made. <laughs> or it's a really deep conversation. It's like, but the world, can we bring a child into a world like this? And you know what? That's not – this strikes me a lot more real life where, yeah, it's a big moment. Yeah, it's important to deci- deciding if you're going to have kids. But often it's a big moment that comes out of a little moment. It's more of a, uh, this kid doesn't suck too much. Should we have another <laughs> one? It's like, eh, it sounds fine. Like often I think, especially if you're already a parent, the decision to have more kids, you're often – it isn't as daunting as it is when you have your first child. Right. And it can often be like a funny little joke or something that one partner has obviously been thinking about and they're trying to find a way to broach that subject, often with a little bit of levity. So so I found this moment really rang true for me. So I've just opened up my notes and realized I forgot to say something on Monday, which is that the scene in when they're at, at the end of the funeral when they're all driving off was Rachel McAdams' last day filming. And they all got really emotional because Richard decided on set yes. during that moment to play into my arms, which, yeah, must have, you could imagine that, like, because it would, you know, they would, they would have come quite close over the course of filming, I'd imagine. To continue, yeah. if we're ready, straight into the next minute, 109, Tim says, what? Mary says, well, mm-hmm. I mean, two. It's, it's more than the Chinese are allowed, Tim says, which is a line ad-libbed by Donal, which is brilliant. <laughs> It's such a. Richard has literally told Donal, "I wish I'd written that," and Donal said, "That's like the greatest compliment." That should be our aim for this podcast, Robert, to get a, <laughs> to get an email from Richard saying, "I wish I'd written that." <laughs> and you'll definitely tell him you can use that minute. Just use that line. Just you know, give me some credit. <laughs> what what I found really interesting in this next minute is it's and it's the first minute that I've had where you really have the two of them well-lit, in sort of an equal conversation. And first off, it's just funny. They give Rachel McAdams mom hair. She She's sort of, she has the sweater on. She's almost like a little shrugged. And all I can think is, like, they are trying to really de-glamorize her because yep. she is a stunningly gorgeous woman with a lot of charisma and a lot of presence. But they're also trying to age her because it's in the in the movie. Well, it's been also, like four years since she was. Introduced. Yeah. Well, and it's also the thing. Gleason has a lot of strengths as she's an actor. She's easier to make look older not, than he is. I think he doesn't have stereotypical leading man good looks. So it's like if if you glammed her up anymore, you wouldn't believe the two of them together because right. in so many movies she's just stunning. It's funny. They seem to be working real hard to just sort of tamp down the way she pops on camera. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, so um, we then cut to them in the garden, and I love how this is lit. Like, the colour scheme and everything here is just yeah, brilliant. Because it feels melancholy, because you know that for Tim this is such a big moment. And I think this is the point where you feel worse for Tim in all of this, in the not sharing the time travel secret. This is the hardest point, I think. So Mary says, I just thought that maybe, you know, it was time for the insurance baby. What? In case one of them is really smart, we don't want the other one to feel stupid their whole life. And if we have a third one, then we could have two happy dummies. Can we talk about this concept? (laughs) 
if you have two intelligent kids instead, doesn't that make the, 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 the first child seem more dumb? Well, then you have a fourth one. Oh, yeah, of course. That's the get-out clause. You know, it's just... And it's funny, because of the smirk she has during the whole se- saying this, what it really comes down to is that she doesn't need... They don't need a third kid. Nobody need. Listen, I have three kids. Nobody needs three kids. They are... <laughs> Maybe farmers. Maybe. <laughs> But they don't look Amish to me. So, <laughs> no, but what it is, it's, you know, sometimes you just, you want to have three. You want, you want to have that one more. And she knows any reason that he has is like, we have two kids already. We have a wonderful family. We have a good life. We don't really need three kids. That's all true. And she's just like, I'm just going to say something ridiculous and smile and be cute. And, you know, hope that it works. And it's, it's going to resonate because he likes the kids. They have great kids. They have a great family yeah. and you just want more. And, Sometimes there's no other reason. <laughs> Trust me, I know where I'm talking about here. Sometimes you just want more kids. Yeah. I remember distinctly. I don't know why I'm agreeing, as if I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't just, just, just take my word for this. Listen, I, I know this very well because we had a beautiful, my son, oldest son, Chase. And he was this gorgeous, fun kid. And we had, my wife and I were very comfortable in the life we had. And we didn't need to buy a minivan. But it, it just became a thing. It's like, oh, you know what? We should have another one. He was two years old. He was a great kid. It's like, let's have another kid. That's when we found out we were having twins because the best laid plans. That's where they really should have, could have turned left on him. It's like, yeah, we could have one more. You're having twins. I remember when they told me that and that's, my wife never came so close to punching a doctor before. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, she's not really convincing him. She's telling him what she wants and she's being cute and funny, but you know, it, it's all, foolishness but that's also sort of the relationship they have and it's it's very endearing so tim says it was the toughest decision of my life saying yes to the future meant saying goodbye to my dad forever oh yeah i mean it's a beautiful beautiful decision uh in a film a wonderful idea really can you think of any stories that go down a similar route hmm. no <laughs> it's good yeah, no, i'm drawing a blank <laughs> i can either and bill as i can say bill nye said that it's a pretty original idea and he couldn't think of anyone who'd done it and they said except maybe the Greeks. And yeah, that was, I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good one. So Tim says, why don't we wait a bit? Mary says, Ab- absolutely. You're right. Yeah. How about now? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love her childishness around this because it's brilliant and it's sweet and it's really bloody persuasive. Well, it's also, it, it's, it's one of the things where like when, uh, your kid asks, is like, oh, can we do such and such? He's like, yeah, we could do it later. And later means no. So he's right. just trying to kick this down a little bit. And it's like, no, she knows what he's doing. And no, let's have this conversation. Let's have this talk. If you're going to say no, say no. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I mean, have we got any, any other comments on 109 before we wrap up this Wednesday? No. No. How would, I want to know, you're, Rachel McAdams was such an interesting choice for this because she was a bigger star than anyone else in the movie. I mean, even Margot Robbie wasn't Margot Robbie yet. She's American. She can be very glamorous. I sort of like when I saw her cast, I was thought it's like, okay, Rachel McAdams is how they got this movie made. She's sometimes with movies, you need to have the name actor in the film to get it made. How is your guy's interpretation of her casting the same as mine? How did you like her in the role? Or would 
would you have preferred a British actress, maybe not, who isn't so big a, and is McAdams so big a star, especially at this point, that it's a little distracting? Well, and this is, this is more my own thing than, I'd say, the, the British view, is 2013, how old did I say I was at this point? I can't, I was, uh, nine? You do know when you were I'd, born, right? Yes. Yes, I just <laughs> couldn't be bothered to maths. No, I, I, instead of counting forward, I went backwards <laughs> and it confused me. I've been away from school for like two months, Robert. I, I forgot that maths is required in life. So I was nine, so I didn't really know. Rachel McAdams was when it came out. I saw the film for the first time a couple of years ago, enjoyed it. Rachel McAdams didn't mean anything to me then. Since then, I've seen that she's in a lot of things, and I understand that she's quite a major star, but I think we've said before as well, Robert, that her casting of things doesn't tend to be distracting, because she's such a an actress who can do such a variety of roles, that it's it's less, we're watching Rachel McAdams for the whole film, it's, oh look, it's Rachel McAdams, and here's the rest of the film. Like, you, you, you forget about five minutes into a performance that that's Rachel McAdams. So her her casting was never... I, I think, issue, yeah, that, that's definitely true once you're watching the film. I think seeing her before you go into it, it does make it feel, just like we were talking about how they advertise the film, it makes it feel like it's going to be more of a rom-com because you know she's been in, well, Mean Girls is a rom-com, but she's in The Notebook, which is romantic, not a comedy. She's in Time Traveler's Wife, which is romantic and not a comedy. Interesting. She's not actually in that many rom-coms, don't come to think of it. The Vow, maybe, but I think... Wedding that, Crashers. Wedding Crashers, yeah. But even that's... Well, I haven't seen The Wedding, wedding Crashers or The Vow, but I know she's in them. <laughs> I don't think The Vow is a comedy, either. Maybe a little bit. What about Game Night? Well, Game Night's later. Well, that was after yeah. this, wasn't it? And then I for me, seeing this came right off of seeing her into The Wonder, which is like a serious drama. And I liked her in Red Eye, and she was in the Sherlock Holmes movies. And so it's she's got a lot of different angles to her, if you see enough of her movies. I think I've seen a couple. You have a very specific idea of who she is. Going through her IMDb, I can't put my finger on who on on. Well, obviously we know who she, but I can't put my finger on who Rachel McAdams is <laughs> to, to who she plays. And I mean, most possibly because I just know this film the most. But I, I feel like the real Rachel McAdams is like Mary. It's that's interesting. Yeah, maybe because because when I think Rachel McAdams, my mind first goes to Mean Girls, where. She was smarter than the room. She's the prettiest. She has her crap together the most. A little bit of a dance monkey's dance when she sees the chaos around her. Which is then, it's funny because when I see her in other movies where she's sweet or when she's nice or when she's the good guy, I was like, okay, you know, Regina George is going to kick some ass any second now. This is She's going to like basically do a Scooby-Doo, pull off the mask and realize that she's the villain the entire time. So it just might have to be when you're introduced to her, the actress. Yeah. Well, also, I think the Mean Girls angle gives her a nice thing here, since the movie does often give her a little short shrift, is that you, you feel like she can take care of herself when it's not her scene, not her story. She seems like a stronger character than the wife. Right. That's a really good point. I'm always surprised in terms of watching this all the way through and watching this in analysis that actually... We don't get that much personality-wise of her, do we? On first, like, just to watching the movie, not much. Slowing it down, I think we've gotten more because we focused in on, like, those conversations where they're being, like, smartasses back and forth. And even here where she's being really cute and childish. She's, she has a very specific sort of way about her that 
is distinctive, but you might not notice it the first time. Well, Luke, when you you talked about how the minutes that we've gone through were her last on set, do you know the breakdown? Like, how long was the filming of this movie, and what percentage of that was she on? What was she on set? I don't actually know that. I should, but that's the research that I kind of forgot to do. I could probably find out. How, how do you normally find out this stuff? Uh, I normally uh, find out by looking at the yeah. clapperboard and behind-the-scenes photos and just figuring it out myself. Wow, that's advanced. I just would do. Should Google. I just ask? Should I ask Emma now? Well, you can ask her. From from the look of the film, I would say it didn't. It wasn't a long production. Like we do know what Bill Nye's thing was. What two days, right? Uh, yeah, for the most. I wasn't quite sure with that as to whether it was two days just in terms of him filming in the house and doing oh, table okay. tennis, or whether it was two days overall. But I'd imagine he probably wasn't there for longer than like a week. Yeah. So, Brad, where can our listeners find you on social media? Go to the Cosmic Torpedoes listener page on Facebook. On Twitter, we are the Cosmic G Pod. You can find the Cosmic Torpedo podcast on all your favorite podcatchers. You know, we talk about all things geeky. We talk about movies. We talk about music. We talk about comics. We talk about uh, whatever else tickles our fancy. Both Luke and Robert have been on the show and were great contributors to it. And one of the things that we like to do, and Luke, you, know, you sort of said it jokingly at the beginning of this episode, but yeah, we're positive. And one thing that has always bothered me about, and it seems to be particularly prevalent in the podcast world, and I get it, it's people have a subject that they talk about, and then it seems like they hate the thing they're talking about. They talk about movie, music, whatever, and they just have disdain for the thing they're supposed to be. It's like, hey, this is is something that I'm passionate about, and we try to have a positive view on it. Robert, please plug Mandy Sons. I was was just preparing to. (laughs) But that was a different thing. That was... Mandy Sucks was, you didn't like the movie, and you wanted to talk about what was wrong with the movie. It wasn't, hey, we're doing a podcast about Mandy, and, you know, two episodes in, it's like, uh, it wasn't I'm just grumbling about it, even though else. I want, pretend to like the movie. You were upfront about what you didn't like, and yes. I, I respect that all the way. <laughs> I remember, actually, one of the times I was on your show, you were talking about what, like, we Please Be Seated, and how we mostly just did films that we like. <laughs> I think there were only a couple of times we did films that we didn't like, and that was often, like, valid reasoning to do with the guests. So, like, an archaeologist talking about archaeological inaccuracies in a film, or... Not archaeological inaccuracies, historical inaccuracies. And, like, a guy who worked for National Lampoon talking about futile and stupid gesture. Which, for the record, I still love as a film. And, yeah. Anyway. Donal Gleason is in that film, and I always forget... Robert, where can us find you on social media? Social media, Robert E.G. Black, or go to lemondrops.com for links to all my podcasts, including the aforementioned Mandy Sucks Minute, which I spent about 130 episodes complaining about that film. Unless you can find me on Twitter, at Lama underscore Bottle Zero, Instagram, the Ginger Luke, Facebook, Luke Allen Film. All podcasts, radio appearance, newspaper articles, short films are all at LukeAllen.co.uk. This show is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Minutes About Time. They can also find us on IMDb, Two Minutes About Time. And they can join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to discuss all things about time and anything else, tangent-wise, all the stuff. Talk about anything. Today's goodbye, as always, is from this random article of interesting to goodbye. Don't call us. We'll call you. 
The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs>